Hi, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week we'll be discussing a different trend or topic so you can stay informed the easy way. So, Madvi, what's the topic this week? On Friday, the 27th of May, the Pritzker Prize medallion was awarded to Zibedo Francis Carré, who is an architect who was born in Burkina Faso, so he's an African architect. And if you don't know what the Pritzker Prize is, it's basically like the Nobel Prize, but for architecture. It's a really, really big deal in architecture. The prize has been around for just over 40 years, and this is the first time ever that an African person has won it. And just in case you're wondering where the hell Burkina Faso is, it's a small landlocked West African nation which has 21 million inhabitants and is bounded on the east by Niger, on the south by Benin, Togo, Ghana, and the Ivory Coast, and then the west and north by Mali. I think Rina and I, quite a few months ago, probably at the beginning of this year, looked it up and like were like, ah, oh, that's where Burkina Faso is. So for us also, the country was kind of new. And now because of this prize and this architect, I guess a lot more people will know exactly where it is on the map. Yes, we got a little obsessed, didn't we? Specifically with the architecture, because they have some really, really cool buildings there. So I will give you just a little bit of a rundown of Burkina Faso. Burkina Faso is a former French colony. It gained independence from France in 1960, and it has kind of a really cool-looking flag. Not as cool as, like, Albania or Sri Lanka, but pretty decent flag. The flag is red and green, and it has a little star in the middle. The red symbolizes revolution, the green agriculture, and the star is the guiding light of the revolution. This flag was put into place in 1984. We'll go into a little bit more detail about why 1984 is very important and who was in power at that time in Burkina Faso. But yes, so as you mentioned, it's a West African country surrounded by six other countries. It's divided into 13 administrative regions. The capital is Ouagadougou. It used to be called Upper Volta or French Upper Volta because, as I mentioned before, it was colonized by France. It was named after the sort of three rivers. So there's the Black Volta, the Red Volta, and the White Volta, which also used to be the former flag of Burkina Faso. One of the reasons why France was really interested in Burkina Faso was because it was kind of used as a springboard for them to get to Mali or Niger. And what's really cool about Burkina Faso is it has this really unique architecture and sort of each building and style corresponds to one of the local tribes. I have some pictures that I'm going to show Madvi now. So we have these thick red clay houses from the Kumi tribe. Beautiful. The clay is like a beautiful red. Francis Kere, he does a lot of buildings that actually look like that has this red sort of clay, but Mm -hmm. he goes very deep on the red clay. And also he uses a traditional way of sort of keeping heat away from outside so it's like natural cooling systems in architecture itself and that looks like that it's doing that this is the house of the tiable that is beautiful the second picture you've just showed me 
it's got these black and white geometrical triangles painted all over this building and these little black and white squares. They're pretty, aren't they? So this is also Tiable. This is sort of different, like very similar to your description before, but it's got that red sort of tone to it again, the Mm -hmm. clay. This is the one that I'm absolutely obsessed with. We're looking at uh, these kind of long towers, series of long sort of towers with twigs or spikes spikes sticking out of them. They look like cacti. It's a building that looks like cacti. These are from the Bobo Diolasso tribe. They're so pretty, aren't they? Like their architecture is unbelievable. Those pictures, which are kind of stark, light and dark, they play on, on that quite a lot. It just reminded me of something that Kere said about the effect of these sort of traditional structures on his work. He said, the quality of light lies in the interplay of dark and bright. Having only one or the other means losing some of the intricate beauty their communion can provide, making space and the experience within as rich as can be. Never yield the power of light solely to a switch. So like all of your structures are sort of, they're very stark in their patterns, but they rise from the nature. That's really beautiful. Yeah. So when we were looking at the buildings before, the dirt in the country has this kind of reddish hue. So that's why a lot of these buildings have this like red clay in them. And it's kind of synonymous with it. Actually, 80% of the country rely on agriculture for work. And three-fourths of the country's population live in the countryside. So they don't live in cities. And they actually have this really cool thing where they have drummers who accompany them while they work on the farms. If this is still true, I don't know. But when the French colonialists arrived there, they were kind of shocked to see this and the sort of incorporation of like rhythm and like happiness in the work. And I was watching a video about Burkina Faso and they mentioned that it's still true today. But the video was also from 2015. So maybe a lot has changed in the last couple of years, but this used to be a thing. So their main exports are peanuts, millets, Zorkum, cotton, and gold. And Burkinab cotton is some of the cheapest cotton you can buy with the highest quality. Hmm. Burkinab is how you refer to someone or something from Burkina Faso. And gold and cotton make up 70% of the country's exports. As you mentioned before, they have a population of 21 million. Out of these 21 million, 51% are from the Mosi tribe. 8.4 from the Fula tribe, 7% are Gurma, 4.9 Bobo, 4.6 Gurunzi, 4.5 Senufo, 2.4 Lobi, and then 1.9 Tureg, and 0.8 Diula. They have more than 60 plus other tribes and people groups in the country. 60% of the country identify as Sunni Muslims, 30% is Christian, French is the official language, but Moor is spoken by the Mosi and Mendika by the Bobos and Bambara in the north. So the language of the Fuli, which is Fulfud, is also widely spoken, but it's not concentrated in one area. Whereas the other languages, the sort of tribes have their different pockets where they live. So it's a bit more widespread and you can't say, ah, this language is spoken in one area. Most people live on about a dollar a day. They have a really high birth rate. Every woman has on average six children. It is one of the fastest growing countries. Its population has increased fivefold in the past 50 years. As I mentioned before, it gained independence from France in 1960. And since then, it has had an absolutely wild political timeline. Like 
Everything since it gained independence from France has been been a ride. We'll get back to its political history in a second, but the Mosi people are actually traditionally equestrian people. They're sometimes called the Cowboys of Africa, which if you haven't listened to our episode on cowboys, you should now because it'll explain a lot about why the way we commonly view cowboys is incorrect. But because they were so skilled at horse riding, this kind of allowed them to fend off people who were coming to enslave them. So they weren't really touched that much by the slave trade. Hmm. The Mosi society is traditionally ruled by an emperor called the Mogonaba. So the Mogonaba, which is the emperor, traditionally is supposed to stay kind of politically neutral and incoming presidents will visit him to sort of gain his favor. The current emperor has been king since 1982 and actually... He used to hold way more of a significant role and have way more power until our friend Thomas Sankara came into power, who sort of curbed their power and influence, and now they're more of a symbolic figurehead. Thomas Sankara is like the African Che Guevara and like just as sexy? <laughs> just as sexy as Che Guevara. That's, that's, that's all I've got. <laughs> that's my political opinion. That's my feminist political stance. He was also very feminist. You know, he was very feminist. We can get to Mr. Sankara in a second. Oh. But I can just very, very quickly finish on Burkina Faso. Boring. <laughs> the, the Ivory Coast is their closest trading partner. They have some issues with the Jinnim, which is an armed jihadist group. It's the Sahara branch of Al-Qaeda in Mali and the Sahel region. The Sahel region is like a strip of land that goes through Africa, and the north tip of Burkina Faso is part of the Sahel region. They engage in terrorist activities. So, for example, on June 4th, 2001, 138 people were killed by the Jainim. But yeah, generally the country is kind of doesn't do that well economically. 1.5 million children are at risk of food insecurity, and just it's not going too well for Burkina Faso, I guess. In that regards. But yes, let's get back to Thomas Sankara. So he put women in charge of significant ministries and jobs, like budget, ministry of budget and stuff like that. He also delegated power or spread power among the different regions. He also got rid of all the Mercedes that the government ministers used to drive or have drivers for, got rid of all drivers and replaced them all with Renault Fives, terrible cars, but yeah. He also cut his own salary to $450. So like significantly. Yes. Yeah, it was really cool. Like he was appointed prime minister in 1983. He was only 33 years old at the time. And he changed the name from the French colonial name of Upper Volta to Burkina Faso, which means land of the honest men. I read somewhere it meant land of incorruptible people. Okay. So Burkino means honorable men from the Mossi language, Moor, and Faso is from the Diula language, meaning fatherland. So it literally means the fatherland of honest men or upright mm. men. The definition that you heard is from the CIA. 
Why is the CIA giving definitions on things? It was not explained why the CIA is now a dictionary, but the CIA referred to Burkina Faso as the land of the incorruptible men. Maybe it was a personal thing. Maybe the CIA went in there and tried to corrupt a bunch of people and they were like, actually, no. No. Can I just say about this name of incorruptible people and go back to this architect, Francis Kere? I saw some videos of him just speaking and saw all the projects he did. And he also seems like so nice and down to earth. You know when you see all these architects and they're a little bit egotistical and just so full of themselves. But this guy, he grew up without electricity. There was no school in his town. His father was, I think, a tribal leader and he wanted him to learn to read and write. So he went 20 kilometers away to an uncle's house. He left his home when he was seven. So what happened was he went to school and then he learned carpentry and he was so good at carpentry that... He actually got a scholarship to come to Germany. So he's he lives in Berlin. He's between Berlin and Burkina Faso. Isn't that the dream? I also want to live between Berlin and Burkina Faso. <laughs> well, you can legitimately bump into him uh, in Berlin somewhere someday and ask him about it. But yeah, he was so talented that he actually got a scholarship to study wood craftsmanship in the west of Germany by the Karl Duisberg Society. Just in case you're wondering why the Karl Duisberg Society exists, Karl Duisberg was actually the CEO of Bayer. He died in 1935, but Bayer actually, this can be seen in all German companies that have been through the war. So Bayer merged with several other firms to become IG Farben. And IG Farben is very infamous for its production of Cyclon Beer, which is the gas which was used in the Nazi extermination camps during the Holocaust. So basically, these type of organizations were set up like this one in 1949. And they specialized in these outreach programs for young people from other sort of, you know, what they would say, developing nations in a kind of post-war effort to make amends for the recent past. Anyway, good thing came out of this. So he came to Germany and um, he also then studied architecture at TU. And he then later on taught architecture at TU and Harvard and Yale and the Bauhaus University in Weimar and all these great things. But he always remembered the community he came from and it was very important to him to always do everything to give back. So the first thing he did was he raised some money with a non-profit and his project at the TU was to build a school in Gando, which is where he comes from where there are no schools and which is why he remembers he had to like leave at the age of seven and go away which was necessary for him to do to achieve his career but like it was really hard for him and he made this school and this school is beautiful the lines and the curves he realizes that like in a hot country one of the main things you need is kind of shade you need light coming into your blackboards where where you need the light and where you don't need the light like we were saying before with these sort of contrasting shapes and stuff so he uses everything in nature and he also made it so sort of low tech the school so everyone in the village literally participated in building this school in the village and he also took input from everyone in the village and used everyone's skills so he was like you need to be involved with the people to build for the people. Like, you you need to be there and involve them. So he did this all. And then he's done so many projects, but all of them, most of them, are, like, doctors' housing, clinic health centres, schools, teachers' housing. Most of them are social things, and he's using these techniques to control heat in a sustainable way. 
like partly covered like courtyards and stuff but anyway I was just watching these interviews with him and he was like just so humble and really nice and you're like okay this is something that's not going to go to his head at all and he's just I think he was born in 1965 so he's like 57 or something right now but I could totally see like honest people because he really talks about the community he came from. He talks about architecture as being a service to people. Mm -hmm. And he understands that like, for example, a school, you can only get inspired and be able to think and work and do good if you're comfortable in your atmosphere and the building you're in gives you that message and enables you to do that. We'll link to some videos in our newsletter. You can just watch him speak. He's lovely. Can we go back to talking about Thomas and Kara? Yes. He was also incorruptible. He was. And I just really wanted to like emphasize some of the things that he did for the country because he outlawed female genital mutilation and forced marriage. He improved school and attendance. It went up from 6% to 22% during his reign. He called on every village to build medical dispensaries and pharmacies. Infant mortality rate dropped from 208 per 1,000 births to 145. He promoted public health by vaccinating more than 2 million children, which saved on about 50,000 children annually. His government focused on building schools, health center, water reservoirs, and nearly 100 kilometers of railroad tracks. He increased cereal production, which rose by 75% between 1983 and 1986. So, like, they produce a lot of grains there, like you mentioned, like, millet and stuff. And he did amazing stuff. He was the one who renamed the country. Oh, yeah, one of the coolest things was when he met with other African nations and he was trying to encourage everyone just to not pay their debt, the debt of African nations, because he was like, oh, if we don't pay these rich former colonizing countries the debt. Nobody in those countries are going to die. Whereas if we pay that debt, our people will die, which is a fair enough point. Yeah. Anyway, in 1976, he met a man called Blaise Compare in Morocco. Bad news. If you meet somebody called Blaise Compare, run. Thomas Ankara was assassinated in a coup led by none other than... Blaise Compare. The coup was supported by Libya, and I don't know, in all of my research, it didn't really come up, like, why exactly did this happen? Like, the coup in 1987, why did it happen? One of the explanations I've come across is that, like, there was deteriorating relations with France and the neighboring Ivory Coast, and this is the one of the reasons given, because, like, you know, he encouraged people not to pay back their debt, and so... Yeah, I don't know either. Like, they were friends, right? Kampare and Sankara. And obviously, sometimes I think we just think, oh, it's just power, and that's power politics and just greed. And Kampare was power hungry, and he got rid of the other guy. And then he tried to make this legislation that would mean, basically, that he would be president forever. So he was a kind of power hungry dude. But yeah, I, I also don't know whether there was anything else behind it or whether it was just one guy's decision or whether he upset a lot of people or it was because he took away everyone's Mercedes. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you take away someone's Mercedes and they get angry. But yeah, so he, Blaise Compare, was in power for 27 years from 1987 to 2014. And he introduced policies that sort of overturned a lot of the leftist policies 
that Sankara had put into place, so he undid a lot of the things. And officially, he won elections in 1991, 1998, 2005, and 2010, although he won them under what is considered unfair circumstances. So, you know, <laughs> corruption, corruption. And then he attempted to amend the constitution to extend his 27-year term in 2014, and this caused an uprising. And on the 31st of October 2014, Campari resigned and fled to the Ivory Coast. And actually, recently, there has been a trial in which he has been found guilty of murdering Thomas Sankara because during his time as president, this was a hush topic, you weren't allowed to talk about it, and the murder was never really cleared up. But he's free right now, right? He's in the Ivory Coast, I think. I don't know. He's become a citizen of the Ivory Coast and has given up his Burkina Faso citizenship. So I don't know if the Ivory Coast will extradite him to Burkina Faso. And he fled with the help of the French, which is super weird. Yeah, I mean, I guess probably it was in France's best interest to keep him in power, right? If he overturned all of these policies... Yeah, but he like he was clearly unpopular and never going to come back to power, and they helped him get away. But what's kind of hopeful for the future maybe is that our award-winning architect, Kere, has been commissioned to redesign the Burkina Faso National Assembly. And, I mean, he does beautiful work in a way that sort of architecture influences the way that people behave and so maybe if he does something really really beautiful i can show you in mock-up what do you think about this this is uh, or this is a render that is very beautiful very light there's a lot of light there's like a net sort of uh, shade thing it looks very open so maybe there's room for an open transparent government here in the future he has already done one for the benin national assembly this is it Oh, it's beautiful. The top looks like it's made of wood and it's got these like squares so the light can flow in very nicely. And then it has these sort of like arches coming down. They kind of look like they're made of like from afar, kind of like waves or like... Yeah, they look like branches. Branches, yeah, that's what it is. Mm. Branches, Uh uh-huh. So this building was inspired by the West African tradition of the Palava tree, which is normally a huge uh, canopy tree where tribal representatives would meet to discuss issues of importance. Palava is related to the Portuguese palavra, which means word, but in American and British usage, it means just quite condescendingly, idle jabber. In the 18th century, it denoted negotiations between indigenous people and traders, and in Africa today, it signifies parliamentary cooperation. So hopefully, that's the future of Burkina Faso as well. Wonderful. What a lovely note to end on. And we will transition very nicely into our three things you can do this week to be a better person. Number one, like Francis Kere, never forget your community and remember to always give back and support the people in the places where you came from. Thing two, like the people of Burkina Faso who listen to drums while they work. I know that everyday life can be very boring and humdrum, you know, same soup just reheated, but try to bring a little bit of joy into your life, maybe through music. Just play the drums at your office is what I'm saying. (laughs) And thing three, 
as Kene has said, space is very important to how inspired and hopeful we could be. And our space also influences our behavior. So make sure you set up your space comfortably and are sustainable. And don't forget the importance of light. Thank you for listening. Until next week, goodbye. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting us on Patreon for as little as four euro a month. Visit patreon.com slash misinformed. For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, requests, or just to say hi misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.